Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast. I'm Trevin Stoltzfus, and we are in Utah, boys. I'm sitting here with Adam Peabody. To my left, I got Tanner Vernon and Chris Hunstein, good buddies. We have uh, set up camp. You probably hear the fire crackling in the background. This is the perfect campsite. I've said it so many times. Do you like it? <laughs> Dude, I love this campsite. How much? It's my favorite. We've got a moon that has just risen in the background. We are in this little meadow with some aspen trees. The temperature is just right. We have a light jacket on. We just had some of the best uh, red chili elk and deer that Chris Honstein's daughter made. Uh, What's her name? Savannah. Savannah, you rock, girlfriend. She's going to love that, too. Oh, man. It's and Tanner, I noticed Tanner's wearing some of it. Oh, for sure. He's our kid of the camp. <laughs> <laughs> this, I'm, I'm going to throw it to Adam. Adam, set the scene here. Um, I don't know. This is my first time in Utah, so I'm uh, still pretty amateur at mule deer hunting, so I think every day is just pretty much going to be a learning experience for me. Tell us, tell the history, how this became, how this even came to be. Um, really, it came about when someone said, hey, you want to join a group hunt in Utah for mule deer? And, you know, never being an out-of-state hunter before, and this is only even my fourth season, it was, uh, it was kind of an opportunity I couldn't pass up on. So I figured, uh, why not take my one point and see what I can happen? And actually how we, we came about this was... Um, Lane and I had been talking about for a while wanting to get a group of guys together, good buddies, and to do an out-of-state hunt. And we just so happened that we both had enough points that we could do this. And uh, Adam and I drew together. And then I think you and Lane drew together, Trev? And Eric. And Eric. Because Lane and Eric aren't here yet. They're, they're going to be coming up. And, um, yeah, that, that was kind of how it happened. I think Lane had, like, three points. I had two, and I think Eric had one. And in Utah, they take the group, and they average the points. And we were able to draw this unit. Yeah, I had four. Adam had one. Yeah. So, yeah. It was pretty much after the Hunt Expo that uh, we really started having that conversation. After nobody drew their tags from the Hunt Expo that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we didn't get the yeah. dream hunt, hunt no. of a lifetime. No, no dream hunts. <laughs> no Henry's tags were drawn. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to it. A lot of it for this right here, because I really enjoy, as I'm getting older, I enjoy this camaraderie. I enjoy the peace and quiet of, the, of a good camp. And uh, yeah, I, I do have one question. How did Lane who, again, was part of getting this whole thing set up. But how did he miss out on setting up camp? Well, if you've known him as long as I've known him <laughs> and hunted with him, because we've been hunting buddies for a long time now, this is actually going to be our first hunt together in, I think, three or four years now. We just kind of went different directions for a little while. We were drawing tags in different places. But he conveniently... <laughs> <laughs> has something before and at the end of the hunt i don't know what it is and he, he he can kill me for that later but he knows what i'm talking about 
Um, <laughs> he's actually missing, though. Honestly, I think he's missing the best part of it all. I mean, to well, me. we got in here. We couldn't find a campsite. I mean, there's people everywhere, which we knew this is an easier-to-draw unit. And, we, you know, you get up the day before tomorrow's opening morning. And, um, and you, Adam, you'd done some research. You talked to the biologist, and you kind of had a couple ideas of where we could camp. And we pulled into that first spot, and sure enough, the people had just gotten there and were setting up camp where you wanted to camp. But I think this is a better camp spot. I do too. Absolutely. It actually works out better that way. Seems like your first choice whenever you uh, plan a hunt or a camping trip that it never works out in the first stop, and you always find up something a little bit better. And this is a little bit further off the road, so uh, I think from what our understanding is, there's a lot of road hunters. And the way this country lays is it's uh, some big ridges, and we're going to be glassing and, of course, spotting and stalking, hopefully watching them bed down so we can move in. But there's going to be a lot of people zipping around, I think, on ATVs and rangers and stuff like that. Um, and there might be some two-point shot <laughs> in this unit. Guaranteed. There's going to there's be some Utah people that are, are going to tag a, which is, hey, if that's what you're here for, if, if that's your um, adventure, if you're here to have a great time and, and put some meat in the freezer, God bless you. But, uh, Chris, what do you think? I mean, what's your, what are you forecasting on this hunt? Anything? Well, you know, the way I look at this is, and I was, I was telling you guys this earlier, this is actually, when I was 15 years old, this is how I started bow hunting and it was in Cherokee Park uh, right above Fort Collins and it was open country velvet mule deer and it was that was was that over the counter back then yeah your tags were like $14 and you went right in there with just your hunter safety card and picked one up no draw right Um, back then though they did have um, I think the first week it was doe only and then you go into or no, it was buck only, I mean, sorry. And then you'd go into does the second week, and they had point restrictions back then, though. I think it was four, three-pointer better or four-pointer better in some of those units. Mm. Um, but I, when we got up here and we started getting into this country, I was telling Adam, I mean, he, he really hit it, you know, right on the head on the nail, finding this country and coming up to the top. And this is something that I've really enjoyed, and I just haven't done it in a long time just for my hunts and tags have taken me different places. But being up here and being able to have really good glassing spots and spot mule deer and be able to put them to bed in the morning and then do a spot and stock has always been one of my favorite hunts and that's exactly what we have right here um i think if we you know the way i look at it there's you know tanner spotted some deer and i know there were some smaller bucks we know there's bigger bucks in there but i think if we're patient and we do some glassing why we know a lot of these guys are going to be running up and down these roads I think we can find a few and you know put them to bed and and give it a shot. And and opening day is always the busiest. It's a Saturday, then Sunday. A lot of these people are going to go home. They're going to hunt first weekend and then go home and then come back the next weekend. Um, so I think it's going to lessen up the the first couple of days. This is a unique hunt because none of us have ever set a foot in here. We've looked at it on Onyx on the onyx maps we've we've adam you you did the smart thing and you talked to a biologist so you got some information i think that was probably the most nervous thing for me is um you can stare at the 
topographical map and look at the elevations and look at satellite imagery, but you really don't know. Right. I mean, people can tell you by word of mouth what a road condition is or what the terrain's like, but I mean, until we started approaching the ridges of the mountain range here, I mean, I was sweating bullets. I'm thinking like, I'm putting down waypoints and directing these guys to somewhere in this mountain range and it's, is this going to be a bust? Is this going to be a horrible terrain? Is this going to be a good possibility for all of us? And then as soon as we hit, started hitting some uh, sagebrush and some open country, I started getting excited. Like, I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to be deer country. Chris started getting excited before we even got here. And it was just, just kept getting better and better as we drove in. Well, Tanner, you, you, you'd asked around a little bit. I think uh, Spencer brought, I think he also gave Lane some information. And Spencer's a deer, uh, he's a mule deer killing fool. And Tanner, you've talked to a few people and you know, you know this country holds deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks like uh, the same, like, so when I looked at it at Google Maps, you can't tell what the vegetation is. Right. Um, unless, you know, like, there's units in in Colorado where I know what what grows there, and so I can look at it on a map, and you can tell that that's in other spots. You know, willows, uh, high basin willows are pretty obvious on Google Earth and stuff. But before you know what actually grows here, like you can look at Google Earth and you can tell there's some open faces and stuff, but you don't know what's growing on there. And as soon as we got up here, and there's a lot of good forbs and sagebrush and stuff that deer generally really like and some good aspen pockets and it's it's definitely better honestly than it looked on google earth um from just from not knowing anything i i think it's it looks pretty sweet i'm excited i like the manzanita trees because uh or bushes, a lot whatever. Of, a lot of shade, and the and, a lot of shade. And underneath them is kind of hollow. Usually, it's open. So if you can, if you can get a buck and bed him down in the manzanita, you can sneak in there and you can actually have a shot mm-hmm. at him bedded. Um, versus something like a a, a cedar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, unless you're really lucky and you have a window, you're going to have to wait for him to stand. Absolutely. Which we can do that, but uh, there's pines. I, I mean, there's dark timber. There's these aspen pockets. There's some really good mix of vegetation. The hardest thing for me, I think, will be, uh, in in my mind's eye, is where are we going to glass from? Because the last thing we need to do is just go walking through country. Because there's no way you're going to, with a bow in your hand, there's no way you're going to walk up, you know, and, and have a, a buck bedded and not know he's there and get a shot at him. It's too thick. Well, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, for all of us coming into new country is just using experience, you know, from what we've used in Colorado or whatever. And that's kind of like when, you know, Adam and I think we're kind of talking about it on the way up. In my past experience from doing mule deer hunting was finding the glassing points and starting from there in early in the morning and then maybe putting to bed and starting there. Yeah. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of experience here with, you know, all of us. Um, different ideas and different things that we've all experienced in mule deer hunting or whatever that we can use to apply to this to new country. I mean, it's, it is a new area. We don't know it. We've never been here. We've never looked at it, but I think a lot of that experience will pay off on, you know, prior stuff that we have done and been successful doing. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be an enjoyable hunt. You know, if we can get a couple of bucks down, even if we can get a couple opportunities, it's going to be, you know, a, a, a hunt we'll remember just the scenery 
just the fact that we've you know you guys went up there just for a bit and you you saw some deer there's deer here so we'll find we'll find mm-hmm. some we'll find something I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say 100 percent opportunity i don't know if you guys can shoot worth the crap but i'm gonna say everybody gets shots well i'd say this group right here yeah well I, i'd say <laughs> I, I like the way you think though <laughs> i'd say most of this group um you know yeah i i think i think we'll i think we'll have some some opportunities yeah, yeah. i mean every, everybody in this group can shoot and this is going to be a head game at this point is mm-hmm. making sure that you can follow through and execute properly because i mean we've spent all year in league preparing for this and I mean, 3D is a great practice, but until you're out here in the heat and stalking and there's all those other variables in it, you know, sometimes the shot is the least cr- crucial part of that. Huh? Yeah, getting into position is, is harder than, than making the shot sometimes. Now, Adam, this is your first high country mule deer hunt? Yeah, this will be uh, my first high country. So Eric last year went with Lane um, on his first mule deer hunt. And we had that on the show this last year, and that was pretty fun. Tanner, you were on that hunt. How does this country differ in that northwest Colorado area you guys were hunting from from this country? Um, honestly, it's it's pretty similar. I would say the the Colorado stuff is a little more sage heavy. There's not the quite the diversity there that there is here there is but you're gonna get um patches of a different kind of brush like bitter brush or um mahogany and stuff over there and here it's kind of a a little bit better mix i don't know that it's um better country necessarily but it's pretty similar a lot of manzanitas um, a lot of cedar trees some dark timber had it all this one has a little bit more uh elevation variance um that like that northwest Colorado stuff's a little bit more flat. Um, generally, there is some some decent mountains and stuff, but that can nothing. that can be a that can actually be helpful when you're trying to spot deer because you can use some of that elevation to your advantage. Yeah, yeah. There's some spots just like the sage flats out there that you're just gonna catch their their head and antlers maybe because you're at such a you know almost eye level with them. Whereas here, we're glassing faces you know almost 90 degrees this evening so it makes it a lot easier yeah yeah so we really all got together most of us not necessarily eric but but the rest of us kind of all met through shooting 3ds at the fort collins archery association 3d wednesday night 3d leagues in the summer and that's it's been through that and alpha bow hunting the alpha bow hunting competitions we've kind of all um hit it off and and then which is a lot of fun because now we're hunting together but we've done all the preparation together too and so i i feel like we all kind of know each other's strengths and weaknesses and in a situation where um you know, you, you practice, you spend the time, you do all that stuff for this moment. It's nice to be together because this is the first time we've been on a hunt together, all of us. And, um, you know, we talk about it and you think about it and we're telling stories when we're out shooting and stuff like that about, you know, this one buck I did, you know, but now we're going to be able to share this experience. And this is, to me, this is where um, 
I think the memories are made because I, I say this all the time. When you're 20 years from now sitting around thinking about hunts, very rarely do you think about the inches of antler, but you yeah. think about the experiences and the Especially camaraderie. Especially when there's only 60 inches of antler total. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and we we did see a couple of bucks that had about sixty inches antler tonight. Yeah, between the three of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a running joke right now that um we should probably uh, have a contest not at the number the mass number of inches but the minimum number of inches. <laughs> oh, but yeah. I think you make a good point on that, Trevin. Is just. We spend all summer telling stories about experiences that we all have had on our individual hunts, but no no longer is it just going to be a story. It's just going to be a shared experience for all of us. Right. And all of my animals that I've taken so far have been by myself. And while that is a very exhilarating experience to do it by yourself solo in a backcountry where you have nobody to rely on but yourself, sharing that experience with somebody... It's something I'm looking forward to a lot, to see their reaction, to see their emotions, to be able to share my emotions and have somebody to high-five other than myself and not yell at the trees, you know. <laughs> but I think uh, I learned a long time ago, I'm not one of those guys that goes out for five, six, seven, ten days by himself and and then kills a buck and comes, you know, comes back out and... Uh, I mean, I can, I've done it. I can do it. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it as much as having people I can share it with. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to the videoing of the hunt. Because I always have somebody there with me to, to share that, that, that moment. I have it to share with the world because we have the video of it. And that's cool. But even more in that moment, it's to share it with somebody else. And to have that shared experience, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one in the world that thinks that, but I, I think it makes it even more special. Well, I think that, I think it goes both ways on that. Um, like Adam was talking about, you know, taking those animals and I, I've done it both ways. I've, I've killed some by myself and it's been a great feeling to know that I could accomplish that by myself and pack the animal out by myself. And then there is that moment, though, that you do wish you had somebody that saw it or was there to share it with you. So I've had the, I've kind of, like, if you look at it the way we're talking, I've had the best of both worlds. I've had my friends with me when I've done it, and I've been alone on both sides. And I think there's a, there's a kind of a great feeling both ways, if you look at it that way. I mean, you can accomplish those things alone, but then as I've gotten older, these are the kind of hunts right now that I look forward to what we're doing exactly right now right. as a group of buddies that hang around all the time. We always tell these stories, but we're never, we're not, we're not all together to see some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're doing right now is as I get older, this is the kind of stuff I look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, like you were, like you're saying, doing that by yourself is, is a milestone. Like my opportunities by myself weren't necessarily planned, but you know, two seasons ago I was able, am I, third season of elk hunting excuse me, my second season of elk hunting I was able to bugle I was able to call in a bull by myself and when I'm standing three yards away from a hot bull it like 
I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm like, how can I do this for my second year? And then I started thinking, I'm like, what can I do now? Like, if, right. if this can be accomplished by year two, like, there's a lot of skills I can still build upon and just make more enjoyable experiences out of that. Like, it was just, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, I still get the chills thinking about it when doing those experiences. But, when, when did you start uh, hunting? Uh, I didn't start five years ago, or excuse me, six years ago. I went on my first actual big game animal hunt. And with, what, so you didn't grow up hunting? No. So what 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 turned for you turn that corner to make you even want to start big game hunting? Well, I mean, I grew up shooting firearms my whole life. Always target practice. My father was never a hunter, but he taught me all the skills of marksmanship. And my relationship with Lane, meeting him when I was 18 him 17, and he was big into archery. And then he just kept telling me, he's like, you know, archery hunting's where it's at. You know, rifle hunting's fun and rewarding, but archery is a new experience. He goes, we're gonna start you out on a rifle. We go out there one season, two hours in the opening day, I shoot my bowl, and I turn to him, I go, let's get a bow. I'm like, next year, I'm getting a bow. I'm like this, I don't want to say it's too easy, but it was. I mean, it, it, it was just a very easy experience and I just wanted to experience what he was sharing with me on his stories of archery hunting. I'm like, that sounds so much more personal with the animal and so much more personal with the environment that it's not the ability to shoot 500 yards, it's the ability to bond with that animal and bring them into 40 yards and communicate with them and anticipate them and read the environment and their their behavior is a whole new experience above rifle hunting. And sure enough, I got a bow one season. He took me out and opening day, once again, a 350 plus bull at 32 yards. And I missed both my shots on him. <gasps> You had two shots on him? Two shots, one at 32 and one at 42. And he was huge. And okay, wait, hold on. We ain't skipping over this. Okay. <laughs> okay, so explain how that happened. Lay that lay that out so I can understand. Well, uh, literally went on eBay, bought my bow, and started training with well, it. And then... Uh, how far before the hunt? Oh, about two and a half months. Okay. So literally I am just using camping gear, <laughs> borrowing camo, and literally relying on Lane and his expertise and friends and just getting me set up. And that was one thing that was the generosity of other hunters, especially in our archery community, is they want to invest in you more than they want to invest in themselves. They want to pass that information along. And Lane took me in, and I'm, I'm learning everything. I don't know anything at this point. Right. I mean, I don't know how to bugle, and we get packed in, drop camp and we hear a big bugle in the valley and he's like we're going we're going right for that and hiked my butt off i'm sweating i don't know what i'm doing i'm just kind of you know following along and he's like you just stand right here at this tree he goes i'm gonna go call and he's gonna come right down to you and you know i got my arrow knocked my leg is shaking like i can hear him bugling and busting down the ridge through the and you can hear him coming oh yeah and Lane's just like, just wait, just wait, just wait, be patient. And he came down within 30 yards of me and just stopped cold. And he was looking for that cow. And I had about a four foot circle to shoot through in the timber. And I drew back and I was shooting a single pin. And this is where the experience pays off. 
I wasn't anticipating the trajectory of the arrow and the arc that it was going to have to compensate for. I should have kneeled to shoot through my window instead of stand to shoot through it. I mean, according to me and my sight, like, I'm, I got a clear shot here. Right, sure, sure. But I needed a kneel to clear the branch. Right, right. And I shot, and it clipped the branch and went right below his belly. And so he just, he didn't know what happened. He jumped. I mean, I've never, it was like a cat. I've never seen an animal that large jump vertical like that. And he ran 10 yards and turned around to Lane's cow call. And so I knock another arrow, and I shoot through the window again, but I make the same mistake. And he ran off the ridge, and Lane comes up, and he's like, did you hit him? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I I was on. It was a great flight path. I'm like, the first one missed, but the second one, I'm like, I'm pretty good. And we searched for my arrows and found them both clean. And he goes, I have never seen a bull that big in here before. He goes, I've never known anybody to have a shot their very first season, very first opening day of archery season on a bull of that magnitude. And I told him, I said, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that because it was demoralizing but thrilling at the same time. And next day, I had another shot and was on a, you know, a little four point. And I, we misjudged. He ranged and he hand signaled to me the yardage. The problem was, is I read his hand signal as five, two, not two, five. So you shot over him. And I'm like, no, there's no way this is 52 yards. Like I'm thinking in my mind, and I, I don't have any experience, but I can't range, it's in my pocket. and he's staring straight at me and I got a dread on shot and I'm like, okay, I'm going to shoot for 40. And I line up, step out of the tree, shoot. And that arrow goes right between his ears. And that elk drops to the ground and takes off. And that, that was where the emotions came out. And he's like, did you hit him? I go, no, I shot between his ears. And he goes, I told you 25 yards. I go, no, you told me 52. He goes, no, two five. And I'm like, well, I saw five two. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, that, that was my very first elk hunt, archery hunt ever, was those experiences. <laughs> and Lane Lane is the one that, that, that turns you on that, to, to, you know, to bow hunting that, 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 uh, that passed that passion. Now it's your passion because you are committed. You, you, you shoot all the time. You're a good shot. I've shot with you. Um, and that that's cool. That is a, that, I didn't realize that. And when you're talking about passing on, literally I came back from that season and I had a coworker at the fire department and he's like, well, what's it like? And I'm telling him. And you can see the energy that I have in my voice. I'm like, dude, do you want to believe the bull I saw? Like, this is the kind of bull I see on TV. And I'm like, I saw it in person at 30 yards. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And then a week later, he's like, so how much is a bow? And I'm like, I don't know. I bought one off eBay. He's like, okay, well, how much to start? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm learning here too. And he's like, okay, I'll think about it. Next year, after my next season, I ended up shooting a really nice mule deer by myself. And he's like, okay. He goes, I got to do this. Orders a bow. He starts shooting. Last year, I took him out for his very first Who is that? Uh, Nick Stanley. Okay. I, I, I don't you know. You haven't met him before. Yeah, okay. So you, so you, in turn, passed it on to somebody yeah, else. I took him out on a one-on-one hunt. Did he miss a 350 class bull? No. <laughs> but I put him on a cow out of a herd at 30 yards. And I'm watching and I'm calling behind. 
and we cut off this huge herd and I'm like, okay, this isn't going to be it, dude. I'm like, you've got to go to this tree, get your arrow knocked, wait, look for the shot, keep your range finder out, range, draw, shoot with confidence. And I'm watching him and I'm calling and I hear him coming and I see his body posture just change. Like he just turns to stone. And I'm like, okay, he's got one in front of him on the trail. And I'm seeing him messing with his release. He's hooking it to his bow and he draws. And then suddenly he stands behind a tree. He takes a step behind a tree. And then his body language just slumps. And I'm like, oh no. So I walk up to him and I go, what happened? He goes, it looked at me. And I go, and? He goes, it looked right at me. And I'm like, and? I'm like, this is where you shoot your arrow. And he goes, I know, but I, I like panicked. He goes, it was looking right at me. He goes, I I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and after that experience, he looked at me, he goes, I get it. He goes, that was, that was incredible. And then now he's into it. So literally just one question leads to somebody else getting into the sport and the, enjoying the passion of it. That's funny. It reminds me of, of, of like an evangelist, you know, spread the good news, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you're excited about something and you spread it and then, you know, uh, and, it, and it just takes off. And bow hunting is, is the people, the camaraderie, especially in Colorado, we have some just amazing people. Phil Mendoza and all that alpha bow hunting crew. You know, you've got, uh, you got Kafaru's there. We've, we've got a really good hub of, of bow hunting people. It's a good community. Yeah, it's a great community. That's a great, and you're, you're a firefighter just like Lane. Uh-huh. Did, so you, you, you knew Lane though before you guys were firefighters. Uh, yeah, I, I actually met him when he was still a volunteer in high school. When uh, he was a senior, he started volunteering at a small uh, rural fire department and uh, that's how I, I got into fire service, you know. So really a lot of my life I owe to that relationship I have with Lane of now I have a career and something he introduced me to. Now I have a passion and a hobby. You know, now I have, I, I look forward to August more than any other time of the year now. Like it, it's what 12 months of the year revolve around mm-hmm. is archery season. And yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's all about relationships. That's awesome. That's awesome. And Chris, you've been hunting since you were a kid and um, you've, You've killed elk, deer, whitetails, bear. Antelope. Antelope, yeah. You've you've gone through the paces. This year's been an interesting year for both you and I in the fact that we made some switches. At least practicing, we we made the commitment to um, to switch up some releases. And you've always shot a a trigger hunting release like I had. And uh, I fought target panic did is that why you switched or did you switch just to to be able to 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 try something more of a controlled shot process or well um yeah i do have target panic and the one thing is was shooting with you for years now um justin and shelly wampler always were trying to guide me in the direction of i always called it um uh i don't 
just trying to shoot better or whatever but he always called it we're fixing your problems is what justin would tell me mm-hmm. and it was my grip and the other thing was is when i used a, a trigger like a we call it a puncher when i'd pull up on a target and my sight was on that target i'd pull that trigger and that you know and that's when you punch it and you have bad shots they're not controlled right so the idea was when i saw i was actually watching you do it you were going through different type releases um for whatever it may be i I don't know i know you had some maybe target panic or whatever mine was trying to control and shoot better and you and i did make that that change this year it took me a long time because i had a hard time changing grip and I changed. That was the first thing I changed. Yeah, and and you immediately your left to right really, really got uh, more consistent. Yeah, and I, I have I have I I don't know what it is. But I I don't know if it's being stubborn, but I have I I hate changing things. Right. And even knowing it's like I could be shooting not the greatest, I'm okay with that shot because I feel like even when I hunt, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But when I saw the changes I made from a grip. And then I started shooting the hinge like you were. I did notice that my control was there more, that mm-hmm. I was taking like a, my process of, you know, drawing back, making right. sure my hands open, um, looking at my pin better, making sure the bubbles focus. And I know that's a process that may seem like it takes a long time, but you and I shoot league almost every week religiously. And so going through that process, it's gone quicker for me. So I can right. draw back and look at all those things when I'm doing it and just focused on now i'm on the target and i can you know my biggest thing now with the hinge though is 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 making the pull through but i noticed one time that i went back to the puncher just to see how it was i had more target panic and i was i mean my control was terrible i am i'm really hooked on using that hinge because it's making me go through the process of my hand being open looking at the bubble focusing on my target and pulling through my shots and my time is I think it's made me even better, even though sometimes when we're at league, my scores aren't so great, but I feel more controlled and I feel better about what I'm doing. Well, and I think one of the things you and I've talked about is, and I learned this from Joel Turner with Shot IQ, um, is really it's about the process. It really is about the process. And there's times you need to forget about where your arrow hits. And and if you're, you know, Shelly and Justin, long player again, said this to me, and I think it's totally true you're going to get worse before you get better yes but the better is so much better and um one of the things that i worry about and um in shooting is that one instance and i can it goes through my mind three or four times that split second that you have to get the shot off yes and my shot process is a lot slower than yours and we've talked about this too especially when it comes to hunting right and yeah. so how do you feel about that because i know we've discussed that but i'm, I'm really sticking with the hinge yep mm-hmm. and, and i and i and i totally agree that i think you should you shoot better with a hinge your you your scores if you looked at your average score for this season shooting with the hinge versus last year shooting with the, a trigger release you averaged much higher i agree with you and, and it does and, and you, like you said the, the process is what it's about right you still make mistakes that like you tend to um and people might be getting bored here but this to me this is important because this is all part of what brings us to this moment but you tend 
or you were you were you would get when you would you would your pin would drop low you would shove up and then you would pull through that hinge so hard you'd end up shooting high i'd either hit high or go over the target right because and, I would get on the target and I'm like the same thing with the puncher. Right. You're there, you but just pull so the trigger. But it's so much harder on yes. a hit with a hinge. Yeah. So, but then then you come around where, you know, we we always would say pull, 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 pull. And when, when, you, when you're aiming, you stop pulling. So when you just allow your natural... Uh, your natural reflexes because we've been aiming for so long we know how to aim but you allow your natural reflexes to aim and all you worry about is pulling through the shot it executes better and that you know that's funny because that's something that Shelly had told me just the last night we shot league mm -hmm. she goes even when you see that that sight just kind of circling around that you know the, the where you're looking she goes that's fine focus on the pull right. and I started doing that and it was amazed how many times I was hitting 12s right by doing that right and and so it was really just that focus of pulling through and and I know we can sit there and talk about this about being it being boring but we do this stuff all the time to make us better out in the field and I I'm excited to hopefully get an opportunity to to uh, pull back on one tomorrow or within the few days we're up here mule deer hunting and see really how I yeah I handle that hinge because at least for me, the, uh, a couple years ago, I tried to make a switch, not even to a hinge or a, a, a back tension friction release. I, I just tried to go to a thumb release, and we were in Split Rock. I think, Tanner, were you there that year? I think so. Then we stayed in that the house. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm sneaking up on this deer. I know this whitetail is bedded right by the, this little creek. And he stands up, and he gives me that split second, and I'm already at full draw, and I and I reach for my trigger, and I have a thumb release. <laughs> I and, can see that. I can see it. And he's gone, right? Well, <laughs> what do you do there? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I went back to the friggin' house, and I because my wait, 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 wait. What did you do right after that, though? Did you launch one? Into oh, I, I think I did. I launched one into the atmosphere. Um, well, I, but just because it was, I was at full draw, and he's running away, and I think I was like, meh, meh, and he didn't stop, and so I went to let down, and I, I mean, I was all miscombobulated, discombobulated, whatever the word is, but I went back to the house, and I got my trigger, and I I sighted that bow in for my trigger because I wasn't ready. Right. Because I, you gotta just interrupt him. <laughs> when, when it went to it, when it when the adrenaline hit, I forgot all about everything I'd been practicing. See, that, actually, your conversation makes me think of things like when I shot my mule deer and my elk, my elk last year. At no point during the process did I think about what I was doing. Right. And like I, I think back to it after I take the shot. On my elk, I'm like, I wasn't focusing on anything. I wasn't focusing on my trigger. I wasn't focusing on my shoulders. I wasn't focusing on keeping my back tight and my breathing under control. It it wasn't a factor in my mind at all mm -hmm. on both of my animals. I mean, I'm only two animals into my, my, my career as an archery hunter, but I'm like, I don't know. I always look back and I'm like, did I... Did it, 
did I punch? Did I hold right? Did I drop my arm? Was I peeking around my sight to see where my arrow went? And they were excellent shots in both of them. And like, I, I don't know, I, I guess it's just trusting your body in those moments. And my question to you guys is, when you're switching these releases, like I shot a back tension in Eagle after, when we were doing uh, alpha bow competition, just to try it. And it felt really natural, but it seems like when it, when trying to change those things in competition, it's there's so many more factors, but I don't know. I mean, what do you guys experience when you're well, actually we, got, you're we on both, an animal? We both did shoot the uh, hinge in the alpha bow hunting, and that is, in my opinion, as close as you can get to that adrenaline and that feeling of being a little bit out of breath and in a spike of adrenaline because you're going head to head and um you know i thought we did all right um i don't think it, we had our best day ever but that's still not the same as sneaking in to 30 yards and that buck finally stands up and you come to full draw but like to his point and i kind of get what you're saying about not thinking about it and that's why when you go through the process and you do it multiple times and you keep doing it through league like we do all the time when you get in that position and you've done that process so long and this is just the way i feel when i get in that that point too there's a lot of times i'm not i mean i'll focus on my pin there's the animal i feel like i'm calm but that whole process you've done it so many times you're not even thinking about it i mean you're just you're right there you're just focusing that pin and it just happens and that's how i feel because i i, I do it so much and that's why I had to, when I went to the hinge this year, like I told you, if I do this, I got to be committed to it because I can't go back to, I can't, I cannot go to back to a puncher because I, I did it at your house that one day and I tried to shoot it and I had so much target panic. It wasn't even funny. Mm -hmm. So I just stuck to it. So I feel, and I hope when I get an opportunity to shoot that it just goes through that process, but I'm not thinking about it. It just happens, mm -hmm. you know, cause you've mm -hmm. done it so much. Yeah, that's, that's true. And that's how I look at it, because it's just a repetition, mm -hmm. and well, you just get so comfortable uh, with it. I think what I find is that you take the attention off yourself. You're not critiquing yourself when you're drawing. Like during Alpha, I mean, you're, you're coming to the line, you're breathing heavy, you got your pack on, you got all that weight and all those physical stressors going, and then you got a, a competitor you're going against, you got a clock you're going against, and then you're still trying to hit this target, because yeah. you know there's going to be a punishment for it. But you're focusing on all these different variables. I think, at least from my experience is, when you got that animal, you're focused on that animal. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about time. You're not thinking about your score. There's nothing else than you reading the body language of that animal to look for the cues right. of when you're going, when you should release. Yeah, I mean that's you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean that's exactly what, what it all boils down to, and it's it's all of that practice all of that preparation coming together at one specific point in time i will i will say something about when you talk about focus or thinking about a process i did do that last year so i was on my whitetail hunt and i had messed up on a, a big buck and i, I was just I, I think i just was really nervous a little bit because it was a really good deer and i didn't i just messed up on the shot bigger deer than what you killed it was yeah Oh my goodness! <laughs> you killed a slob too. So the next the next time I went out, when I got the one I did shoot, I remember going through the whole process though, like stay calm, 
put the pin on them. And I remember the whole pro. I remember watching the arrow penetrate both lungs. I remember seeing the shot and everything. Right. I, but I was so focused. I was like, you just, I mean, you got, you're fine. Just relax. Right. And I remember when that deer stood out, I remember the 30-yard pin being on the chest, watching the shot happen, the whole thing. And I was like, that was easy. Yeah. Because yeah. It, the, the screwed up shot is what made me focus on being better right. on the second time. I think, Adam, you make a good point when you talk about you almost don't remember what happened in the shot process. It just was a good shot. I have experiences like that, but I also have experiences where I've had to go wait you know so sometimes i'm i'm better if i don't like if i see a buck coming from a ways away i get myself so worked up <laughs> so people talk about going on autopilot and the fact of the matter is you don't want to go on autopilot you want to be in complete control of that whole process and by being in control you execute that's what i'm learning and i've been hunting a long time and i've been shooting a bow for a lo- for for a few years uh, <laughs> i think I just think you're always learning. Randy Ulmer, I, I interviewed Randy Ulmer years ago, and he talked about the reason you don't want to be on autopilot is, you know, back in the old days when you would land a plane, you didn't put it on autopilot landed plane because you'd crash. Now, I understand they have autopilot that will actually land the plane for you. But what his, what his point was is you you stay in the moment and you stay in control and you do what you need to do you trust yourself the pilot trusts himself to make the corrections to land that plane well you trust yourself to go through the the calming process whatever it might be right and um and that only comes from experience tanner you you killed that ram a few years back and um you know that was a situation where you kind of you kind of had to make a quick uh, assessment and whether or not you were going to shoot the animal. I know there was a there was a bigger one that, uh, but I mean, did you did you see have any of those issues? Because I mean, a, a bighorn sheep tag in Colorado <laughs> is kind of the holy grail, right? Yeah. It's, so there's uh, a lot of pressure on it. You're the only bow hunter that got the tag, right? And here you are. You were nine days in, or how many? Oh, I had. It was a. Uh, it was almost a month season, and I was on the second to last day. And uh, yeah, that ram. They they kind of busted us and ran out. And there's a little there's a shoot, kind of a scree a scree shoot between some cliffs, and uh, they all ran across there. And there's kind of a rock spire at the bottom of this. Um, it's it's really a lot of like conglomerate rock, and the way that it's eroded, there's a lot of these spires, mm-hmm. um, and they all ran across this this little chute, and the last ram ran up on the spire, broadside, and uh, all the rest of the rams left, and he ran up broadside, and I kind of had a split second when I heard him start to run. I put my rangefinder. I just shoved my rangefinder in my pocket because I'm like, there's no, no chance that I'm gonna get to use this thing. And so I just shoved it in my pocket and clipped on my release. And uh, they ran across, and the last one ran up there. And you know, I looked at him, and it, this is all happening super, super fast. Um, but I, you know, he's legal and broadside. And so I drew, and I remember 
I remember putting my 20 pin on him and and I, I've always shot a like a trigger release. I taught myself how to shoot a bow when I was like 12 and I almost guarantee you I have target panic and I punch, but it seems like on animals or like if I'm shooting 3Ds um, and not looking at the spots or anything, just looking at where I would put it, um, if it, you know, if it was a live animal and I was shooting it, it seems like I shoot way better than if I'm looking at a block target with a little spot. It just, I don't know, I just, I, and I don't shoot bad, but I do want to work through some of that stuff. And uh, I, I actually bought a, a hinge release and stuff that I want to try, but I'm probably not going to do it before this season. But um, anyway, so that ram, he stops. I remember putting my 20 pin on him. And I looked at him like, no, he's not 20. And so I moved up. And I'm like, he's got to be right about like a little bit over 30. And um, what I find when I'm shooting animals, whether it's a gun or a rifle, is I want to like, there's a sense of urgency in which I haven't done the alpha bow hunting, but I think that's probably, there's a lot of urgency to that because you, you're wanting to get the shot off, you know, before um, before the other guy and stuff. and but I feel like there's a lot of urgency sometimes with animals like this ram ran up and he's staring at me and he's I know he's gonna leave and so what I find myself is just fighting the urge to just shoot and I I've done that several times like the last buck I killed with a rifle um it was a long shot and I I think I pulled myself off like three times because I was like just getting ready to squeeze because it's just not, there's just an urgency there and I do it I do a pretty decent job at it but I did that on the ram one time and then I you know squeezed in it I center punched him at I think he ended up being like 35 yards but um yeah I don't know I think with guiding I think I get I'm in that situation so much that it, that really is an advantage for me. It's it's almost like you're in that hunt because I cannot afford in yeah. that situation to be excited right. and um you know it because I that just doesn't like if you ever get excited with a client they're gonna feed off that right and so you know I try to be super calm you know is he a big one like yeah he's pretty nice he's a shooter you know like even if it's a 360 bull you're like yeah he's good we need to shoot that one and just stay and i i feel like i've gotten really good at just kind of staying level on that and i think even that kill. really really helps on sheep and stuff or like my sheep hunt and my you know my last deer hunt the antelope like killed a couple years ago and i haven't killed a lot of stuff with a bow but i don't know it just it seems like I'm able to keep myself com composed, and I, I, I definitely like, I, I attribute that to guiding because I've been in that situation right. a bunch. I, I find it fascinating that you you say you don't have a lot of kills with a bow, but you were able to think in what three, four <laughs> seconds that you're like I'm moving twenty to thirty. Like I don't have that <laughs> confidence in myself. Yeah. Like I, I've ranged my animals like four or five <laughs> times like they've given me that opportunity but having that confidence i think that's like another I think, in my mind i see there's different levels of proficiency when you're an archery hunter you know shooting accurately is one you know stalking and finding animals is another and then judging distance and yardage instinctually is something that you can't teach somebody that it's just mistakes made and then when you're guiding you you can kind of separate yourself from that situation and have this outside view of it mm -hmm. where you don't have nothing to risk really but you can just see it all come together and i, I don't know yeah and yeah, it's, just, i think it helps to see a lot of animals in 
in the environment like you know you see a lot of deer like i was out antelope hunting um the other day and uh there's well actually yesterday and there's an antelope at like it was like 110 yards but in my side of the state i don't get to look at a lot of antelope and i'm like ranging this thing and i'm like that looks like freaking 60 yards mm-hmm. and i'm like <laughs> Oh, well, that's 110. I'm like, I can't, I can't shoot that far. I'm not going to. I'm like, that does not look at 110 yards. I'm unless, you're, him like, unless you're Chris, he'll, he'll shoot at 110. <laughs> I'm like ranging him like six times. That's just I, a myth. <laughs> just urban legend. Yeah, something like that. And to your point, I did. I had an antelope at one time, 90 yards, and I thought it was 60. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way. Which that that's big. hard with nothing, just six inches of grass for... I mean, that's, that's It just didn't tough. look 90 yards. Yeah. I mean, I thought my rangefinder was messed up. It, and it's amazing how that can throw you off, especially mm-hmm. when you have nothing around. Yeah. So, like, you get up here, you might see the deer in the trees. You can kind of, like, look at a tree from 10, 20, 30 yeah. yards and kind of help you judge it that way. The antel- That antelope, that stuff's tough yeah. when you're trying to judge without a rangefinder. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you don't have any depth, anything to help you with the depth, but... Which, like traditional bow hunters, it just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, watching them at the alpha competition, like, they're drilling targets. And I'm like, I've shot a traditional bow a few times just as for fun at the shop and stuff. But that's, I, I don't know. I guess that's, they say that's the pinnacle level of, you know, bow hunting is doing that traditional, which I can understand that to a certain point. It's the pinnacle of bow hunting. is all the pinnacle of bow killing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I would agree with that. I've I've hunted with a I've hunted with a recurve. I've killed some things with a recurve, but it is by far the most challenging <laughs> and the most frustrating. Honestly, honestly, I feel like it's easier because when you don't kill anything, it's like, yeah, I didn't kill anything. I'm hunting with a recurve. Are you are you stupid? Do you I have gonna an kill, Like, am I going to kill something? You get a haul pass. With your, with your freaking wheel bow, you're like, yeah, yeah he was at, he was at 60, and I, I just, it was, there was a crosswind, and I, they're like, you didn't kill him? What? Like, yeah. with a, I, I might switch to a recurve, because I already I, I don't give, kill a lot of stuff. I give, I give you mad props, though, Trev, when you were doing that, and you did, you were successful with it, because I remember... Like, we always have our little competitions at league, but you stuck with that mm-hmm. rig curve for the longest time, and then you went out and killed stuff with it. And that yeah. was dedication to doing that. I, one of the things I found, and we might get some hate mail on this, but I found <laughs> that there's a, there was a lot of people in the, it, that shot recurves, and I think... You joke about what you just said, Tanner. I'm, I'm not. That I'm not, wasn't really a joke. But I was laughing when I said it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, do, I think a lot of people shoot a recurve because it can't kill anything anyway. Yeah. And oh, you're gonna get some hate mail. Oh, on I'm that sure one. I will. But man, I talk to people, and I'm, I, I only shoot a recurve. Have you ever shot a compound? Um, yeah, yeah, and then you, and then you, you get to know, and they didn't kill anything with a compound either. <laughs> So at least that they, anyway, I, I say that, you know, you got guys like Aaron Snyder who, who picked up the recurve, learned it, stuck to it, have, I mean, you know, he's really become quite a, a good shot. He's killing things pretty consistently. You know, that's dedication. And I give, I did it because I wanted to see if I could do it. I did it. I, I, 
would have killed a lot more that year <laughs> had I not been shooting a traditional bow. But I just enjoy, I, I'm not done with compound bow hunting yet. I really enjoy it. I think like to, like like with Aaron, like that the fact that he goes out like and just goes, get, picks up a recurve and just goes on a killing rampage, I think that is you know that's that shows his hunting his hunting ability not necessarily his shooting ability because there's a lot of people like that you know if you get to 20 yards if i get to 20 yards with the recurve i'm probably going to hit hit them <laughs> two out of ten times so if i practice you know like but you know you you up that but i think that just shows it just takes a lot of hunting ability i think you can go out it's like fly fishing like you can go out and fly fish and not catch fish all day and still look cool well you know when i first started <laughs> when i first started bow hunting though and i don't know if you've ever heard it but back then they always said because i used fingers mm-hmm. and it was a compound and no sights yeah that's i and, did too I, it was an instinctive yes i used a had a flipper on it and yeah. i used fingers and um i shot a point uh, pro line point blank was the first bow I ever shot. Mine was a PSC Polaris, mm. and the only reason I didn't use sights is because I saw a lot of other bow hunters. You know, you pick up a video and watch it, but the one guy he always made the comment. He said, "It's like picking up a baseball or mm-hmm. a softball. Mm-hmm. You can throw it to first base, second base, whatever." That's how he felt with the bow. You just pick it up, and you see it's right there, and you just you can do it. Mm-hmm. That's how I first started bowing. I never had sights, and I used fingers. And it was with a compound bow. How'd that work out for you? I took my first mule deer, open country. Mm-hmm. It was a two by four buck in the velvet. It was my second year. So my first year we went out, we had many opportunities, but we didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. It was me and my brother-in-law. So the next year we started reading some books, watching some videos, got better equipment, but we were still shooting instinctively, you know, with the way we were doing it. And I watched all this stuff, and I, I mean, it was funny because reading these, these magazines and these books, and they were teaching, you know, put the, you know, the deer to bed, watch your wind, mm-hmm. stock up on them. So my second year, and it was in uh, Middle Cherokee Park, and me and my brother-in-law went in there. We spotted these deer. We split up, and I saw him, and he was looking up this hillside, and I saw all the deer going up the hill. Well, I ran all the way around this mountain, and being 15 years old, you could run around those hills. Mm-hmm. I got all the way up there, and this one buck that we had saw when we were scouting, I kid you not, he was probably about a 30-inch spread, and it was like a 11 by 13. He had oh all these my goodness. points. I, I've true, seen, true story. I've so, seen one there that's that sounds similar. He was, he was unbe- well, we never thought we'd ever get an opportunity at this buck, right? I'm 15 years old. <laughs> so I see three of these bucks all bed down. And he wasn't around. I couldn't get his attention because I almost didn't want to go do it by myself. But I was like, okay, I'll just do everything they taught me to do. Everything I read. <clears throat> so I, I put them to bed. They were, I, I had little landmarks. So I knew exactly where they were. I took my backpack off. Went down there. Had the wind right. Was doing all this stuff. And it was probably a lot of luck. But I went down there and I was being as quiet as I could be. And, and we all know how tough open country mule deer is Mm -hmm. so over this little ridge i knew when i got to this little this little hump if i look over that big buck is going to be laying underneath this tree and the other two bedded down in these bushes and i didn't know exactly where they were and i went down there i look over the top i don't see him i see the tree i don't see him 
I get a little bit closer, look up, I still don't see them. And I was like, man, these things are tougher than I thought. I, I, I didn't even see them leave. And it's, I'm in an open country. I never even saw them leave. So I start kicking some rocks. I'm not even kidding you. I was just like kicking these rocks, walking up to the edge. And I get, start walking up a little bit higher. And I was like, oh, he was there. He was just farther underneath the tree than I thought. And it was that big buck. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. And I'm looking at him. And there's nothing going on. He doesn't even know I'm there. I get up and I shoot like an inch over his back and he stands up I put another ear on right away and this buck is literally 10 yards from me pops out of the bush so like I was like do I take another shot at him or do I try to get my first deer and shoot this one I turned around and swung and shot at the one at 10 yards and missed it shot right over him. the other one popped up jumped over at like I was probably I think 30 yards or something well that big buck starts going over the hill I have this one at 30 yards pull another arrow out I shoot and I, it was, it had to be buck fever or something, but I, I thought I saw the arrow go between, under his belly between his front two legs. <clears throat> he takes off and he stops and he kind of looks back at me. The other, the other two bucks took off and I said, well, I guess I, you know, I messed up. I'll go pick up my arrows, but at least I'll have a really good story to tell at the campfire tonight. And I go over and I pick up the first arrow and then I walk to go get my second arrow. And I remember walking over and I saw this big pool of blood. I saw my arrow, blood, arrow, blood. And I was like, what, what just happened here? Well, I had shot that deer in the heart and it went through the shoulder, hit the heart and went out the chest. He went around the corner and was bleeding out. And then he, he actually literally dropped around the corner from where I saw him standing. So I saw these big pool, the, these two big pools of blood. I didn't see him. And I think I was just in this like shock like I was just like I, it, my, my mind was racing You're I was 15 like, years old yeah, and, yeah. I have, and I have to get my brother-in-law and I tell you the craziest thing is that that being 15 I put my arrow in that big pool of blood I run all the way back up this mountain and the whole way I'm, I'm questioning myself and doubting myself and if you would have saw the blood I saw you knew he was dead I was like well I don't know I, I think he's dead I, I think he might be dead and I get my brother-in-law and then this other hunter that was up there, he saw the deer go out of there. And he's like, do you get something back there? And I was like, well, there's some pools of blood, but I don't know, man. I mean, can they heal up? I mean, and just <laughs> like I had all this stuff going through my mind. So this guy, we're walking back. We didn't even know him. We're walking back up there. And he goes, well, if those pools of blood are the, as big as you say they are, we're going to find them. And I was like, tell my brother-in-law, I was like, they, they are. This is real. But I still am not processing this whole thing in my mind. So we get around the corner anyways, and I told the guy, I said, yeah, he had four points on one side, two on the other. We walk around the corner, and we were coming up to that first, the second pool of blood, actually, and my brother-in-law spots him. He's like, dude, he's right down there off the side of the hill. And I was like, what? We didn't even make it to there. We found him. But he was literally where he came around the corner and saw him. He went down the hill. And the guy goes, no, he's a two-by-two. Two. And I said, no, he's got four points. And the buck, he put his head up. I don't know how he did it. But he lifted his head up and you can see the four points but this whole time i was questioning myself i was like you know seriously could he heal up and just get <laughs> and i couldn't believe it yeah. well anyways this old man he was he had been bow hunting a long time and he goes i was always told if anybody can kill a mule deer in open country you can do anything in your bow hunting and he was like son you got a lot of stuff ahead of you if you continue to bow hunt and he helped us gut the deer. He helped us drag it out and everything. But I couldn't believe the 
everything that went through my mind on this wow. whole thing you know and that was 15 years old and my, my family they weren't they weren't hunters nothing my brother-in-law got me into it and i just couldn't believe it, but that was my my second year bow hunting and that's wow. where it started that's cool that's good yeah it's amazing you know and here we have an opportunity to create another memory absolutely i'm excited we'll keep you guys posted because we're going to be trying to do podcasts every night everybody's going to share their experiences and and hopefully kind of take you along on this adventure with us through the through the podcasting platform and of course we're going to be videoing it for the show and then uh with the supplement of both the podcast and the and the uh, and the video hopefully you'll get a a chance of i mean you might not be able to smell this campfire because it sure smells good but hopefully you get a feel and a sense of what it is of us out here embracing our wild thanks for listening we'll see you down the trail